People are still dealing with COVID and the after effects of catching COVID. Perhaps you are one of the people and they're dealing with something called long haulers COVID or long haul COVID. And part of the symptoms happen to be brain fog. There's a new study being led by researchers at the University of Toronto. We're joined now by Dr. Roger McIntyre, who's a professor of psychiatry and pharmacology at the University of Toronto to tell us about it. Welcome to the show, doctor. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for covering this very important topic. Well, I think it is something we should definitely be aware of. When we talk about brain fog, you know, a lot of people um, toss it off as, uh, you know, yeah, we've all walked into a room and thought to ourselves, why am I here? Wait a minute, what did I come in here for? And you have to literally, physically remove yourself from that room, walk about 10 steps, and then you're like, ah, here it is. I know what I wanted in the first place. And you walk back in. Is that what we're talking about, or are there varying degrees? Well, it's both. It's varying degrees and exactly how you described it. You know, a brain fog is one of those hard things to really articulate, but I think people know what it is when they have it. You know, your, your, your mind's just not as sharp. You feel very cloudy. And, you know, I mean, everyone's experienced a bit of brain fog here and there, you know, for moments, and it goes away. Uh, maybe you're sleep-deprived and things like that. But this is something fundamentally different. This is something that persists despite resolution of acute COVID infection. So what happens is persons have noticed, and it's a very significant percentage, around 10 to 30%, sometimes 40% now, of people are reporting like two, three, four months, even longer after the COVID infection has resolved, their mind is really, really foggy. And along with that, they're having a long list of other symptoms. In fact, the tally has now exceeded 75 to 80 different types of symptoms. But the most consistent symptoms people tell us is they have brain fog and they're incredibly tired. There's not a word that can describe how tired they feel. And they are also telling us that just any minor exertion, they just get short shortness of breath. Even going from the television set in the living room to the kitchen, they're getting short of breath. And this is quite unfamiliar. And obviously, you know, this is very concerning. And, and I think where it really, I think, grabs our attention is that people are saying they're debilitated by this. They can't function. They can't do their day-to-day chores. They can't do their activities. They can't go to work, things of this nature. So this is a very common um, scenario. Uh, you mentioned the word long haulers. We're still trying to figure out what to even call this. Some people call it long COVID. Some call it post-acute COVID. Some call it post-COVID condition. The names keep going, but it's it's common and it's really affecting a lot of Canadians. So obviously, uh, brain fog is a major concern. I mean, that's one of my yep. worries. People go, well, it's, like, it's you know the symptoms of Omicron. They're they're not that bad. You should be okay. But I always my next sentence out of my mouth is, but. What about the long run? We don't know what awaits us. So clearly that's what you want to do with your study. What's the goal of the study and how are you going to conduct the study to find out how COVID affects our brain? Absolutely. And for those interested, they go to the website, the Brain and Cognition Discovery Foundation here in Toronto. And what I would say is, is what we're doing is we're trying to test the hypothesis. And what we are in fact going to do is we're going to be testing whether a treatment that's both an anti-inflammatory treatment, but also a treatment that's been shown to help thinking clarity, to really clarify one's thinking, to sharpen the thinking, and reduce the fatigue. This is a medication that's been used for a long time for that purpose, um, whether it can help people who have long COVID. This is a hypothesis, and we're trying to uh, address that hypothesis. We're also at the same time uh, conducting MRI imaging of people. This is uh, magnet, you know, this is imaging the brain. 
to try and see if we can unravel some of the underlying changes that are occurring in the brain and people who are experiencing this. And this is something that other groups are looking at as well. And so it's, uh, it's going to be critical because this is something, again, here in Ontario, the, the COVID science table, this is the scientific group, has also acknowledged this is something very common, not just in Ontario, but of course across the country, around the world. And uh, we are now believing as many as 10, as I said, up to 30, maybe 40% of people are having this. Here's one point I want to just emphasize, though, to all listeners, is that um, there is a story beginning to unfold. Uh, We're still, in fact, not 100% sure of this, but there's a suggestion in the data that people who are vaccinated, who actually get COVID after being vaccinated, they have a much lower risk of getting this long COVID syndrome. So along with the benefits, the protection that vaccine gives people that we've been hearing about, it seems to also reduce the likelihood you're going to have this terrible long COVID brain fog syndrome. This is a double blind uh, study that you're doing, which means that someone's getting the medication and someone isn't getting the medication. It's kind of like an even even split. Um, And they don't know if they're getting the placebo or the medication. Is the medication an antidepressant? And why are we uh, looking at antidepressants now? Yeah, that's a great question. The medication is labeled as an antidepressant, um, and this is not to imply that people are depressed. In fact, many people are not depressed. So people may be wondering, well, why are you giving an antidepressant? People should think about many medications, a bit like aspirin. So aspirin's a medication. We take it for a headache. You take it to thin your blood. People take it to reduce their temperature if they got a bit of a fever, things of this nature, and the list goes on. People use it for heart protection, things like that. So in medicine, we often have medications that have multi-dual purposes. Now, Health Canada and the FDA approve medications and they get a label, but they're often used for different reasons and they have other biological effects. In this particular antidepressant has been shown in laboratory studies to be anti-inflammatory. As well, this particular antidepressant has been shown to help uh, clarify brain fog and fatigue in other populations. And this is not unique. For example, you probably heard about a month or two ago, fluvoxamine, which is an antidepressant that here in Ontario uh, has been identified as a potential treatment uh, uh, to help symptomatic COVID. That's been talked about much in the literature and so on. Uh, So there's, in quotes, an antidepressant, end of quotes, but not being used for its antidepressant purposes, being used for its effect on the immune system. And this is similar in concept. So yes, it's called an antidepressant, but many of these treatments are a bit like Swiss army knives. They have different purposes, and this is another example of that. So it's like Viagra. It's a heart medication, or originally was. I suppose in some ways it still is, but it has, it has other uses now. So can we, if you're giving an antidepressant, are, are the people in the study aware that it revolves around an antidepressant? Because that could uh, influence them, you know, mind over matter situation. Like, I think I'm getting an antidepressant. I'm getting a placebo, but all of a sudden, well, I feel good. Well, there's certainly no question that when people come into a study, they have expectations. And again, this is a study, it's a hypothesis, and this is why we have placebo, because it's, uh, uh, it's essential for us to know on the scientific level whether the benefits that people are experiencing are a direct consequence of the medicine rather than being a consequence of the hopeful expectation things will get better, which, of course, is understandable. Uh, We Mm. want them to get better. The team does, they do, and so on. And so that's why we have placebo, because it helps us begin to differentiate those two 
those two influences. So absolutely, people will have expectations. And again, um, we're not using it um, for antidepressant purposes. Right. It has that label, but we use it for other reasons, no different than the other medication that made all the headlines a month or two ago, fluvoxamine. Um, but yeah, so that's why we must have a placebo mm-hmm just to make sure we can sort of differentiate those two influences. But it is interesting because you could see how that could actually cause depression if you're having pro- problems thinking, if you're um, not sleeping properly, if you're, exa- you're exhausted all the time. It could lead to depression. Well, that point's really well taken, and it's really interesting because there's an entirely different conversation that overlaps with this, and that is is that we now know that um, in the world of depression, where which is where I have conducted research for a long, long time, that many, but not all, that many people who have depression um, have changes in their immune system. Hmm. And there is, in fact, a observation in psychiatry that some of the symptoms of depression, such as fatigue, lack of motivation, and not feeling much joy in your life, these are very common symptoms amongst people with depression, in some circumstances, we are believing that might have something to do with the immune system. And there is an interest in psychiatry to look at new medicines, new innovations for treating depression that primarily target the immune system. But that's a separate conversation overlapping with COVID. The COVID long COVID is an entirely different conversation. But well, there are, in fact, some, some overlaps here. You know what it sounds like? We're going to have to have you back another time to, to discuss that. Doctor, it has been a pleasure having you on. I wish you the best of luck uh, with your Thank study, you. and I hope it goes well. Thank you so much, and thanks for covering the topic. Take good care. Have a great day. You too. Dr. Roger McIntyre is a professor of psychiatry and pharmacology at the University of Toronto.